Welcome to our second episode of What the Art. My name is Rachel Parsons and I'm the director of New England Regional Art Museum. And in this show, we talk all things art and culture. Um, and today I am joined by Mifunwe Gulliver, uh, whose most recent exhibition, More Love, is currently on display at Nyeram. Thank you for joining me, Mif. Hello, darling Rachel. <laughs> it's so great to have you here. I feel tickled to bits, completely nervous. Like, I'd quietly like to projectile vomit, but I'm okay. We'll see how we go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so your current exhibition at Neurom is More Love. Yep. Um, to me, it is like an explosion of colour, fabric, joy, irreverence and madness. Um, you have made large, soft sculptural works featuring a somewhat autobiographical, blonde-haired, uh, bared-bosomed character. I know, it's a bit worrying, isn't it? <laughs> Everyone loves her. Do they? They do. They adore her. I am so relieved, (laughs) except my bosoms aren't quite as pneumatic as the ones in the show. (laughs) (laughs) So can you tell me more about the inspiration behind this exhibition? Um, It probably is sort of autobiographical in a sense that it comes from me and it's my wandering around in my mind and thoughts and... It was also probably me trying to find, even though I am a deeply kind of aged person, it was probably about me trying to find that little essence in myself that made my heart sing and to feel quietly empowered by making stuff. Mm -hmm. And it began, I think, um, really I wanted to have my whole body involved in a process which sounds sort of mad but actually physically be involved in the making of something so it wasn't just making a a little ceramic sculpture that was you know a foot high sort of thing it was actually getting my hands and my mind and bending down and reaching up and being able to put on and take off and so there was this immediacy to it and out of that came this incredibly free, joyful, totally immersive kind of thing, which made fed into my life and my life fed into it, if that makes sense. I don't know if I've answered that very well. but No, that's perfect. I think it has absolutely become an immersive experience for the audience as well. It's not an exhibition you look at. It's an exhibition that you become physically a part of. You're surrounded by I hope so. these objects. Like I hope, because I sort of, like everything you make individually, like it's an individual thing and you become completely focused on that journey. And it is, it's like you're sort of lost and in the moment and making something. And then, but you also make it as a whole thing. For me, I mean, when you said, would I have a soft sculpture show? I was so excited because I just went, oh, thank God, I can keep this little journey going and it's really exciting. And, I mean, I will continue it, of course, because it's become part of what I do. But I made it in mind with people being amongst it because that's a really – it's like being amongst a group of trees or in a beautiful garden or you're amongst it and that makes you feel something 
no matter what it is, it makes you feel something. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. For those of us who have known your practice over a period of time, mm. we probably do know you more for your ceramic yep. work. So beautiful uh, porcelain and then later terracotta yep. um, sculptures. Of course, some um, uh, very evident similarities in terms of the use of characters, yep. of, of humour, of colour. Um, but this work certainly seems a pretty significant departure in terms of the materials used and then also, of course, uh, scale. Yeah. Was there something specific that prompted this shift in your practice? I think I became frustrated. I think I went through a period where uh, when I started with the porcelain, I mean, I sort of worked backwards in a way. Do you know what I mean? Because porcelain's quite a difficult thing mm -hmm. to manipulate and work and fire. But at the time I thought, shit, I just want colour and that white and the colour and that zing, that the bounce. So I sort of just went into that and did that without thinking about it because I'm self-taught to a degree. So it was just a feely finding kind of way. But it felt, playing with clay felt completely natural. It's a hand mm. thing. And I felt, oh, thank goodness I've actually found this thing that makes my heart sing and it was really exciting. And then I actually became, I think, more and more focused in the detail to the point where I just felt, um, I don't know, that it just all became, felt sort of stiff, which it probably wasn't, but it just for me felt like that. And I also had this narrative and that was sort of the, the woman who actually was this empowered woman and the dog, which really was her sort of follower, really, <laughs> tag along. <laughs> Uh, sidekick. Anyway, I think I just became blur about the whole thing and I needed a change, but I had to find a way into something else. So then I sort of started playing with terracotta, which felt sort of rough and squishy and, you know, more workmanlike in that sense. But that freed me up too and I stopped using so much shiny glaze. And, and so from that because they became a little bit bigger. Well, they became bigger things and rougher and freer. I then wanted to make it, I wanted to make really big things, but you have to worry about the size of the kiln and I wanted to make one sort of thing. Yeah. I'm rambling, aren't I? No, but it's fantastic. in that sense, I actually just, I, I look, I, I just had this, I wanted to make big things and I, wanted to feel completely wholly engaged, not just my intuition, brain and fingers. I actually wanted my whole body and I wanted to be able to put on something and take it off and sew. And I tried pa paper mache and painting and I just felt like such a wanker and a sausage and it just didn't work at all. I just, I had a struggle with the, pa I could paint on the clay, but painting on something else, it just felt really weird for me. And so, an old blanket which was there became something I could just cut up willy-nilly without patterns, just snip away, pop it on, sew a rough stitch. Mm. And I went, oh, freedom. You can you can definitely feel that sense of uh, freedom and joy yeah. in the making, and I think also even though it is soft sculpture and it's and stitchery, it does have this um, sense of drawing or mark making Com to it as completely. Well. And that was part of it. It was part of being able to to make that mark, but not draw it. But for me, that was the drawing, and that felt really 
really exciting and like the possibilities were completely and totally endless. I want to travel the world and make stuff. I mean, I want to put it everywhere. Like that's what it feels like. I just want to make all this stuff and put it out there and people can walk through it and around it and God, they might even sit on one. <laughs> I think we did have a child who tried to. Yeah, no, yeah. and just to <laughs> squeeze it and just be there amongst it. Because it's, I mean, for me, I hope it actually, I hope people when they're in it and look at it feel or get a sense of how I felt to make it, if you know what I mean. Well, I think you're certainly in inspiring some pretty big emotions over yeah. the weekend. Yeah. There was actually a proposal in your exhibition. I know. A I'm, successful one. That's I so know, amazing. which was really darling. And I thought, hey, I can stop now. <laughs> You've inspired more love. <laughs> yeah, basically. And I thought, shit, isn't that exciting? <laughs> so exciting. <laughs> well, do you know what I mean? If, if, it, if it makes people feel something and, and someone else said to me, who, and they were really darling, said that they've actually been back three times to look mm -hmm. at it because it, they couldn't quite put their finger on what it was, but it was having, you know, they needed to go back and see it because they... It, obviously made them feel something and I walk into it every day I'm yeah I am flattered and <laughs> honored actually so we have a or you have a mm. stitch and bitch workshop coming up on Saturday I do. Uh, which is very exciting what can your participants expect from this workshop I hope there is quite a bit of joy some laughter some freedom some just going for it without thinking about just doing whatever you want to do without any, you know, I don't want anyone to feel like they're ticking a box. Mm. No, box would, ticking. no box ticking. No box ticking. Feeling free, like you're skipping in a puddle, doing a cartwheel. <laughs> You know, and we will have um, with no a, undies on. With no undies on, we will have a glass of champagne to help uh, facilitate that feeling. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, thank you, Miss. Thank for you, Rachel. Me. Um, more love by Mafunwe Gulliver um, continues until March 14th at Neerham, and there are still places available in the Stitch and Bitch Workshop this Saturday. So visit www.neeram.com.au for more info and to book in. And now we'll go to our first song. We're continuing our 80s theme to coincide with the launch of our upcoming Culture Club. Um, so here are the Eurythmics with Sweet Dreams Are Made Of This.
we're back with What's the Art? And uh, we're going to be talking about art prizes and I guess Australia's uh, almost obsession with art prizes. So Australia's art calendar is dotted with hundreds of prizes, large and small. Several have price tags of over $100,000 for the winners. The biggies include portrait competitions like the Archibald, the Doug Moran and the Porsche Geish, and landscape prizes like the Wynn and Hadley's, along with such as the Blake Prize for religious art. Prizes come in all shapes and sizes and they've they've been known to build artist profiles and launch careers into a much bigger spotlight. But entering can be a very expensive business, including entry fees, freight and insurance. And there is always the chance that an artist's work will not even be hung as a finalist, let alone win the elusive prize. So I guess the question is, is it worth it? And joining me today is Leah Bullen, an Armadale artist who has just won the Best in Show at the Stanthorpe Art Prize. So she is perhaps a little bit biased in terms of is it worth it? But thanks for chatting with me, Leah. Thanks for having me. So first of all, congratulations and amazing achievement um, to win the Stanthorpe Art Prize. How does it feel to be Best in Show? Um, Best in show, it's a funny terminology, isn't it? I feel like I've won crafts or something. Or best Uh, bull or something. Yeah, (laughs) you know, I get a ribbon or something. Um, It's a little bit surreal and really it's, I mean, I've been entering prizes uh, for a long time now. So I kind of feel like maybe the the numbers finally tipped in my direction because I have been um, applying and being rejected for a number of years. So finally, uh, a thumbs up. <laughs> I guess that um, that process of applying and rejection is very much par for the course in the in the landscape of, of art prizes. Um, and as you said, you know this is definitely not your first prize. You've you've been in a number. You've also won other prizes before. Um, so tell us a little bit about your approach to being part of the prize circuit. Well, I guess I started applying for prizes when I moved back to Armadale, really, because I felt that it was a way of showing my work, if I got uh, shortlisted, without the huge expense of renting a space, or um, you only have to send one, so the freight is kind of reduced. Uh, But it is expensive, especially if you're applying to things like... um, say the Archibald or the Wynn where you actually have to send your work physically to the gallery and if you're lucky enough to select be selected then it stays there but if you don't if you get rejected you have to pay again to get it sent back which is a bit of a stinger. Uh, So my approach is that I don't make work for prizes I make work and if something that I've made seems to fit in with a prize that's coming up or I think that it's a good work that might stand a chance, then I apply. I think because there are so many prizes, some people are just constantly making work for prizes and I think if you have that kind of focus, it can be a little bit detrimental to your studio practice because you're not really spending the time that you need to be making decisions not based on you know, somebody else's criteria, but your own uh, artistic and um, 
your own in, in artistic agendas and and just being able to experiment and develop your practice. Mm-hmm. So as an artist, what do you think is the value in entering a prize? Why do you do it? Why do artists do it? I think one of the main, I mean, a lot of people would say it's the money, but it, I think it's much more than the money. And money is nice, but I think the main reason you would you, that I do apply for prizes and other people do is it's about getting your work out there in the world and raising your profile, um, getting you, a lot of people that are on the selection committees or are judges, are people that are working full-time in the arts and cultural industry, they're curators, they're gallerists, they work at universities, so they're people with a certain amount of power within the structures of um, the art world. So if you never enter into these sorts of things or have shows at a blue chip gallery, your name is just not going to be recognised. So if you happen to be lucky enough to get into a prize, then it gets your work out to a broader audience, Mm. to people that have a certain amount of influence within the art world. So as you said, uh, prizes for you became more of a consideration when you moved back to Armadale. Do you think it's more important for regionally based artists to be engaging in this space because of that access that they may not um, have day to day if they were um, the same as if they were in Sydney or um, Melbourne? Uh, I think when you're based in a city, there are a lot more opportunities to network with people within the art world. When you are in a regional or rural community, there are not that many uh, structures that exist and not a lot of people to network with. So I wouldn't say it's the only way to do it, but for me, it's been a way of being able to get my work into different galleries and different be seen by different people so why do you think Australia has so many prizes there are over a hundred or uh, you know a whole range of different sizes some have you know huge money behind them others are much smaller and then all the way down to you know local show prizes but on the professional art scene there are a lot of prizes in Australia per capita more than I think any other country in the world Um, Well, I mean, you could say that we're a betting nation (laughs) (laughs) Um, and that we, you know, everyone loves a winner. Um, (laughs) uh, But I I mean, if you you look at some, a prize like the Archibald, you know, it has been described as the Melbourne Cup of the art world. Mm. And I think a little bit like the Melbourne Cup, a lot of people that are not interested in racing get involved in the Melbourne Cup because it's hype and excitement and so with the Archibald you get everyone really invested in who the winner is and arguing about whether it was the best painting even though they probably never step into an art gallery the rest of the year so I kind of think it's a combination of um, I think it's it's that kind of mindset but also I think it's also to do with um, the way that people um, philanthropists perhaps donate money to these prizes. So I think perhaps in other countries, philanthropists um, engage with the arts in different ways. They maybe collect and then donate their collection to a gallery or they sponsor a scholarship or sponsor a university program. Whereas in Australia, there are a lot of philanthropists that actually sponsor prizes. And I think, again, it's to do with the hype and, you know, 
that idea of you know the winner everyone's really invested in the winner so I'm not really sure but that's my personal take on it. I think as you say everyone's invested in the winner but people are also very invested in complaining about who the the winner is I think part of some of these particularly the very big ones the Archibald is you know the the classic example people love to argue about who the winner should have been whether or not it was just a political decision or the fact that the uh, trustees that year just thought it was that artist's turn to win regardless of whether or not um, uh, the work was the best um, you know hanging on the wall but that contention seems to be a big part of the the prize scene as well. It certainly does. I mean, I remember talking to someone um, who won the win one year and they said, yeah, if you win the Archibald, all of a sudden you become the most hated artist in Australia. <laughs> and I think there is, um, again, it's, I think particularly with something like the Archibald, it's because there's just so many people with opinions about it. Um, but yeah, there are those considerations. I think you know, art prizes are all different. You know, some of them are acquisitive. So there's got to be an agenda for what kind of work is going to win because that's what the gallery or the collection wants to collect. So I think these things are, you know, it's always dotted with a fair bit of luck, I think. Mm. So as an artist who has just won a significant prize, uh, what would your advice be to other artists who perhaps haven't entered before but are thinking that they need to get into the prize scene? Well, I first started applying because I thought to myself, oh, look at all my cohort, they're all winning. And then I actually sat down and thought, well, you're never going to win anything if you don't enter. Mm. So I think the main thing is uh, just be aware that there's a lot of people out there applying for um, prizes and you are going to get rejected. Um, but just be persistent and keep on trying because um, eventually you will crack the code. <laughs> um, just if not by sheer numbers, weight of numbers, you know, you, you just have to, you know, there are going to be some prizes that your work sits better within the parameters of that prize and you just have to be kind of critical about the decisions that you make, but it's worthwhile doing it um, in the end because you never know my, what might happen. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Leah, and congratulations again. I hope that you've had um, some big celebrations and will continue to do so throughout the week. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so some arty things that are coming up at Neurom. So as we mentioned on February 27th, which is this Saturday, we have a Stitch and Bitch workshop with Mafunwe Gulliver. We'll be making built-up plates inspired by Miss Fabulous exhibition More Love. And on March 7th, we are frocking up and promenading in a 1930s inspired garden party. Uh, we'll be playing lawn games. There'll be delightful treats provided by the friends of Nirum and I hear possibly a spiked punch. So uh, that should be a fantastic um, morning. Uh, you can find uh, all about Nirum exhibitions and events at nirum.com.au. So that's all we have for What the Art today, but we'll be back next week to talk more about arts and culture and related stories. In the meantime, you can always get your culture fix at Nirum, so come in and see us or get art online at nirum.com.au. We're on Facebook and on Instagram. I'm Rachel Parsons, and I will see you soon at Nirum. And take us out with another hit from the 80s, uh, Let's Dance by David Bowie.
is a law. 